And good afternoon. Welcome to the Lambda Weekly Show. I'm Laurent Landis here with the on-time, the late Patty Fink. Yes, I am here. She's here on time. You know who's? You know who is late though? David. David Taffet. Yeah. Yeah. He David. is running late. He's really late. He won't be back till next week, everybody. He took the week off. <laughs> but we have a guest today that I've been so excited and uh, wanted to come on for a long time, and we finally made it work. That's Mr. Vinton Jones. He is the Democratic nominee for the Texas uh, uh, House Representative for District 100. Welcome, Vinton. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a, a lot of people know you, but a lot of people may not know you, so we thought we'd try and get to know you a little bit better today. Okay. Um, tell us what, how, your background. How did you get started before you, even, before you jumped into politics? Well, I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas, in the Oak Cliff area by the Dallas Zoo. I have been involved in the community probably since 2009, where I was a board member of the Stonewall Democrats of Dallas. And after that, I had the opportunity of um, opening up one of the youth drop-in centers, uh, United Black Element, that's mm -hmm. now a project of the Resource Center, and then had an opportunity to live in D.C. for our almost 10 years, uh, working with the National Black Gay Men's Advocacy Coalition, uh, the National Black Justice Coalition, uh, which is the nation's largest black LGBT civil rights and social justice organization, and then uh, had a chance to move back home in 2019 and started my own nonprofit called the Southern Black Policy and Advocacy Network. Network, became a precinct chair and election judge, and now the Democratic nominee to be your next state representative for House District 100. So <laughs> that was in a nutshell. You right. were fast. So, so clearly he's got he, he's got the skills. I think so. Yeah, I, think I think so. so. I think so. That's awesome. Um, well, with all of that um, that experience that you have, that guy's a wealth of experience, and you're still young. You're a young one. Um, what made you take the leap into running for office? That's a big undertaking. Absolutely. Well, my career has, and I think that this has started with my upbringing of being raised by my grandmother. I've always had an engagement around intergenerational engagement. And in that, whether we were talking about my public health work, my HIV advocacy work, my LGBT advocacy work, or racial justice work, it has been, it has been always focused on um, building connections between generations um, so that we can get our best work out possible because uh, we really need each other, especially right now. And so when it came to this role and having this opportunity, um, there's a need for a, a new generation of leaders to, to step up right now, um, especially uh, when so many things are under attack for uh, LGBTQ people. And even before, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with the, the challenge, I mean, the last several years, whether we go back as far as the bathroom bill or uh, the, the number of, of proposed legislation that's been put out by the state, there has been a need for um, LGBTQ leaders to, to step up and have their voices heard. And so um, I felt the need to answer that call, and especially in House District 100, where I was born and raised and, 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 and work on issues um, that are not just, you know, as far as my identity as an LGBTQ person, um, I'm a black man and, you know, working in a, in a black, in a, in a, in a minority, majority, minority district right. of 80% people of color. Uh, these issues have been issues that I've not only worked on, you know, worked on throughout my 20 year career, um, but also my 38 years of life and, you know, how that's been informed, how that 
will inform you know my work in Austin and so I'm very excited to, to be able to bring that experience uh, to be able to, to ultimately work to, to make good impact and to you know start some good trouble in house just yeah, I, I like that yeah so you, you know he, he shared with me before the show that you lived in DC for that long I lived in DC for one year I couldn't hang that long <laughs> um, see I would love to live in DC it, it, it's, it's, it's a great experience it just never felt like home and would you say the same? Yes. yes. <laughs> I felt like even even to the day I left, I felt like I was always a guest. And yeah. I, and like home was yeah. always Texas, Dallas. Yeah. And and that's just how it always has, had been for me. Right, right. So you're back in Oak Cliff, and I think it's so sweet. You live across the street from my grandmother. <laughs> that is so I think that awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Did you did, did it just happen that way, or did you purposely look for a house near her? So. It did not happen that way totally. I, I, I think that when, you know, when I was looking for a, a home, it was going to be in the area and, and, you know, particularly in the southern, you know, sector of Dallas. And, you know, the perfect home kind of popped up in the perfect place. Gotcha. And it was actually not even a house that I found. Um, and I tried not to heavily persuade the whole situation around this house because I knew it was across the street. Like it was, it would be every it would, every reason I would want it. And so it was actually <laughs> the the third house on on my list. And and but I you know that that house ended up working out. And I think that sometimes things just happen by by chance. And and that's exactly how that house happened. But there was definitely some intentionality around staying in the area, mm -hmm. not knowing that the area would be across the street from the house that I grew up in <laughs> that my grandmother's in now. Well, you know, I think that's great. You got a representative who's, you know, representing that district, who knows the district. You were born and raised there. You're back there. You can't get any closer home than that. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that it, it's, it makes the work so much more impactful for me, you know, for that reason, uh, to be able to just be someone that's, had an opportunity to have a community raise me and have another opportunity to, to get away and now come back to give back to the community that, that put so much into me and that made my story even possible today. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, HD100 has such a storied history. Just just in the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. so, um, so just in the last 20 years, um, it's been represented by Terry Hodge. Mm -hmm. Um, by now Mayor um, Eric Johnson, mm -hmm. um, and then Lorraine Birabel. That's right. Briefly, mm -hmm. and then Jasmine Crockett, mm -hmm. who's now a Congresswoman. That's right. Well, soon to be, Shouldn't soon to be, be Congresswoman. Hopefully, maybe, um, and then now it's an open seat, and and you're the nominee. You're and, the nominee. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, there you do have an opponent. Let's I not do. forget that. You, you do, do have an opponent. <laughs> I, I do want to mention that. His name is Joe Roberts. He's a libertarian. And if he's listening, you're more than welcome to come on the show and talk about your candidacy. We'd love to have you. So, so um, Traditionally, it's been a very Democratic um, district. That's right. So more than likely, you're... You're going to be get, getting sworn in in Austin in January. Well, you know, I'm definitely, you know, definitely see the history of this seat, and I and I definitely want to continue, you know, to work every day to to earn those votes, and and I think that, you know, we'll talk a little bit about it, but it kind of 
blends into the goals that you know I've been working on regardless of you know the history of this seat I'm going to continue to work for it and continue to make sure that not only that I win this race but also we continue to work to get you know those important seats up the ballot supported and we turn out the vote for you know to make sure we get a new governor lieutenant governor those key positions we need to make sure we get you know, exactly. leadership in. Yeah. yeah and you get to introduce yourself to all your constituents that's right. That's, yeah. that's a big part of it. And, hey. and this is your first time ever running for office. It is. Uh, definitely not my first time in, in politics, though. I uh, had the opportunity of working as the field director uh, for Omar Navarro's campaign, uh, two of his uh, city um, city council uh, campaigns. Very successful. Very successful campaign. And, and, and a very frequent guest here on Lemdu Weekly. Absolutely. He was here just last week. He was. Yeah. And also served as a, a precinct chair, which if contested, that is a, an election, but thankfully those weren't seats that weren't contested. And so this is my first campaign with my name on the ballot. And so, but uh, th that's your first campaign, and you got the nomination. Absolutely, that, that, that's that's impressive. It it is a blessing, and I and I and I am, I'm honored for this opportunity. And it's and it, even as a first time candidate, it's not something that I that I take lightly. What we've been able to do with this campaign, you know. Um, I, I just I take my hat off for anybody who can just start running a campaign because um, there's a lot of work into it. I, you know, I remember listening to um, Patty's wife, Erin, when she ran for office. It's a big undertaking. Um, it is. A lot of grassroots efforts, um, a lot of knocking time. on doors. Um, your district, correct me if I'm wrong, because I looked at the map, and when you're not loose, used to looking at these district maps, it's kind of funky. Oh, it's funk. <laughs> it's it's a, deliberate funk. It's deliberate funk. <laughs> so y your District 100 goes from, it looks like part of West Dallas all the way up into East Dallas, a sliver of Mesquite. And down back down to Oak Cliff. That, that, that about right? I call House District 100 the the Southern Crescent of downtown Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> so if you think about a, like a half crescent, it, it does from about the east to the west. Yeah. It, you know, downtown Dallas kind of envelops the the downtown Dallas area running along I 30. So yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A very natural community of interest. <laughs> <laughs> Not right. <laughs> So, you know, with that hard work, you know, um, having to knock on doors, I mean, how's it been? Is it everything you expected or have there been any surprises? You know, you, you a first-time um, office runner, how's it been? It's been great. Uh, no. <laughs> any I, surprises? I, I think that it's, it's, it hasn't, I wouldn't say any super... That's all right. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I sat on my wallet. Yeah. Anyway, so not necessarily surprises because I, I think that you know, being both black and LGBT, throughout my career and my life, I've always seen kind of these fights, mm -hmm. and so one fight that that really resonates with me and that I felt I kind of connected with um, was um, the HIV movement. And th how I've had to see people in the community fight uh, to, to make sure that HIV was recognized, make sure that the dignity of LGBTQ people was recognized, but also um, being a black man, going, living through COVID and, and, and the, the violence that we've seen in the streets against um, the, the black community, I, I, my story kind of rests in... Um, the fight. And, and when I thought about that, 
um, that's what really helped to to really in, engage in my campaign. So on the days where I felt like it was it was crazy, it was hard, it was difficult, I, I thought back to so many individuals who some I know and some who I, I do not know. Um, where I felt that it was much harder, and I, 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 I had to draw strength from, from those people, from those stories, uh, in order to make this campaign happen, because I don't want to lie and say that it was easy, because it was not. There was definitely some times, um, personally and professionally, um, that it was, it, was, it was sometimes, you know, overwhelming. I mean, mm -hmm. even within my, my campaign itself, there was a lot of, you know, personal loss. Um, and just being honest, uh, during that time, uh, I was going through a divorce. Mm. I was going through um, the loss of my grandfather, mm. uh, the loss of uh, my dog for, for 13 years. Oh. And, you know, just, just really having to figure some things out. And then on the campaign side, we just know how nasty, you know, campaigns can get. And, you know, that was something that I experienced towards the, the very end, you know, of the runoff where things like my sexuality things like my HIV status um, was used in a very malicious way um, to try to garner you know political support they were political weapons and uh, you know you know that that's just kind of a part of politics uh, but it doesn't make it feel any better so of course I would definitely say that it, it was a challenge but I think that um, I, I really pulled from the strength of, of so many uh, dynamic activists and activists and, and advocates um, that have continued to move the needle forward for with, within the black community and within the LGBTQ community. And, and from that, you know, there was strength enough to, to pull us out and pull us through. So I'm yeah, grateful for that. Yeah. And you had the campaign, let's not forget, in the middle of a pandemic. A whole pandemic. We're still not, we're still not out of it. People forget that. Yeah. yeah and in fact, it's got a surge. It started yeah. a surge again. And so. during my campaign, you know, we launched on December the 1st, World AIDS Day. Oh, and, awesome. Um, once we got through December, that's when the Omicron variant hit. Mm. And then going through that, that primary, then we had the, the, the ice storms that, that hit. That. So that prevented some knocking on doors. And, and then, you know, we started getting, like, when the runoff happened, like, record heat on election day. So <laughs> Texas weather being Texas weather. Right, right, right. You just been throwing a curveball right. left and right. Left you know, last, right. last night I had to laugh because I got a little notice on my phone that said it was going to be five degrees cooler today than it was yesterday. But today's today's temperature was going to be 103. So I guess oh, it's a little cooler than 108. <laughs> right, right. You know, I'm, I'm I'm leaving out of town here soon, going to D.C. And my best friend lives up there, and he's I'm like, you know, what's the weather been like? And he's like, oh, it's kind of hot. It's been like in 89, 90. Oh no. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> g give me a break. I might need to bring a jacket. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so you're going to have a fun summer, too, I think, probably knocking door to door, because this is hot stuff. Aaron was freaking out last, last night because it was like, I don't know, you know, 98 at 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We just dipped below the hundred when it went, you know, at midnight. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's Texas weather. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be in the nineties next week. Yeah. 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 It was That's like the high. Well, today is supposed to. Be, well, it was it today or, or yesterday was like it's, this is the highest of what it's like one oh seven or what? It was one oh eight yesterday. Yeah. Sheesh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Just another reason why I want to get out of here, and we talked about that too, but. Um, so does the camp so the election is in November it is um do you ease up on the campaigning right now or do you keep going um because you, you, you 
you're the presumptive winner, but you stu do still have a candidate. Um, absolutely. And so, absolutely. I mean, an opponent. Well, you, 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 you keep going. And, and, and I think it's important right now, especially as we can't even wake up right now without seeing some crazy thing that's being proposed, you know, for, for legislation next year. Um, we can't even have Pride Month without, you know, people infiltrating, you know, safe spaces to, to try to, to, you know, make political gain and try to continue uh, to bring harm to our families. Uh, you know, I, I had a brief time of being a foster parent and, you know, mm. still have a desire to be, you know, a parent. And just the thought of um, legislation, you know, continuing to be enacted that that continues to try to, you know, dismantle, you know, what family means to me is something that, you know, kept me going, you know, since we launched in, in, in December. And, and so that work, you know, continues. And, you know, we have about three months, which, you know, it may, November may seem like forever, but when we talk about the need of, of changing hearts and minds and, and mobilizing people to vote, you know, this is the time that we need to act right now. And so I have definitely continued, you know, my campaign and have also continued to work with um, the systems that, you know, control our elections so that, you know, when we talk about the the legislation um, that that you know that 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 really hurt our our electoral process, we have to make sure that locally on the ground we're doing everything we can to make sure that that people know about you know where they need to vote at. They're educated about the candidates, and that they are motivated in a way to to take action. And so, not only have I been working you know in the district on those issues, but also working with um, the Democratic Party, working with the Elections Department uh, to make sure that we continue to make elections accessible, um, particularly in the southern sector of Dallas, to where we've known that there have been historic issues with engaging uh, communities south of 30. And uh, I'm going to make sure that I do everything I can, whether I'm the state representative or the, the, the nominee or just the citizen. Uh, there are so many things that can, that can happen right now that we all need to be engaged around our electoral process. And for those leaders, um, specifically taking action to not only make sure they're getting out to vote, um, but also they're, they're, they're mobilizing every circle of influence that they have uh, to make sure that those people are getting out to vote, too, uh, in November. Yeah. Because yeah. there are folks above you in the ballot and below you in the ballot that need votes. Absolutely. And uh, that's, that's, a big, that's a big, big deal, this cycle. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is a cycle like no other. It is. You know, God, I found you, how long have I known you now, Patty? 22 years? And Patty has always just hammered home how important local elections are. And I think you, I mean, you've always been right, but it's never been more important now than ever. I know everybody goes to vote for president. I'm one of them and those those elections that come along with it. But it is so important to get involved in with your local elections. And yeah, what's interesting too, we can talk about this up the break. I know we need to take a break. Yeah, let, let's take a break. Uh, we'll be right back more with Vinton Jones. This is Alex Hanselka and you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM Dallas. And welcome back to Lambda Weekly. I'm Laurent Landis here with Patty Fink, and our guest today is the Texas House uh, Representative uh, running for District 100, Vinton Jones. And we were, before the break, we were just talking about how important it is um, to get involved in local elections. It is, and in, in, uh, statewide elections as well. Um, I think what's interesting is um, we, the, the item at the top of the ticket, because, because of the way the U.S. Senate works, we have no U.S. Senate candidate. 
this cycle. This cycle. Um, and that happens once every three cycles because the, in the Constitution of the United States, there are actually classes defined, class A, B, and C, or class 1, 2, 3. And all the senators are divided into classes. And so there, you have every two, there's six-year terms, so every, every two years somebody's up except for one cycle, and this happens to be the one. So the top of the ticket this time is, is for governor. Um, and the Democratic candidate running for governor ran for Senate four years ago, two years ago, four years ago, four years ago. Yeah, four years ago. Yeah, and came within about 200,000 votes statewide. Yeah. And you know where those 200,000 votes are to, to win? They're likely in uh, well-established Democratic districts mm -hmm. where people take for granted that their candidates are going to win. Mm -hmm. Their local um, down-ballot down candidates are going to win, and they don't go in and vote because they they feel comfortable and safe and we've got to get those folks out <laughs> because we had I think it was something like three or four hundred thousand uh, votes that sat on the table in Dallas County in that election and he only needed two hundred thousand statewide oh wow I didn't so lose that many Dallas County could put him over the top they could they could <clears throat> so that's that's a consideration so it's it's vitally important that you know, and the crazy, let's just, let's just call it what it is, the crazy that's happening in Austin at just about, I, I don't think you're right, Ben, like every day <laughs> something crazy I know. Is, is coming. Um, it, we, we have to take action. We have to, we have to put a stop to this. Right, it's, right. It's, not, it's not trivial. I mean, this is really big no, stuff. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, look at, you know, I'm, I'm a second-class citizen again. Again. Again, and we'll get to that. <laughs> we are going to get to that. Um, again, um, Vinton is running for um, House seat uh, 100, District 100. Um, some people don't even know what district they are in, let alone who their representative is. Um, I know mine. Uh, I know you know yours, Pat. Oh, yeah, I know mine. <laughs> <laughs> and mine's a, mine's a, a, a former guest on the Lambda Weekly Show, um, Victoria Niave. Um, can you tell us what is it some of the things that a state representative does? So there are a couple of things. Uh, one, of course, is the obvious is, you know, pass legislation. Uh, another one is working to, to manage, you know, and, and to help make decisions around our, you know, our budget in some areas. Uh, and then I think that there's one area that is the most important to me, and that is constituent engagement and, and making sure that there is a, a conduit between, you know, lawmakers, state lawmakers, and, you know, the, the community of, you know, voters itself. And I think that when you when you're dealing with a place like House District 100, uh, you have so many issues that that need to be addressed. And 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 when I you know knocked on doors and, and have talked to you know voters over these last you know several months, they didn't talk to me about all the laws that they wanted me to get passed. They wanted a state representative that that will continue to earn their vote you know outside of just the election. They they say you know I, I've had so many. You know, people say, you know, I want to see you before you're running again. Mm -hmm. You know, I want you to come knock on my door again, you know, and, and, and I think that that engagement is so important right now. And that leads to one of the first things that, that I want to do 
when elected as you know the state representative, and that's to, to get a fully functioning um, district office open uh, and and responsive. Even one that you know during this legislative session that people can come up to the office, uh, and whether I am there or not, you know, work with staff to to to, to make sure that issues are being communicated to them. Also, we have the opportunity to not only use a district office, but utilize, you know, social media, uh, utilize other forms of communication to, to make sure that those voters are, are heard. And so that's going to be, you know, pretty significant for the work that we need to get done in order to start to inform, you know, the legislative agenda that we will work to make sure that is informed by the vote, the, the, the needs of, you know, the, the, you know, the residents of House District 100. So they, they may not, they probably didn't specify they, an interest in any certain laws being passed, but surely they have some concerns about certain issues. Absolutely. Like, like health care, I'm sure. So the issues that um, that I've heard and you know that's a part of, of my platform of course is health care and making sure that we have affordable uh, quality affordable health care and culturally competent health care providers uh, that are on the front lines providing services uh, two is infrastructure not just our streets and our roads uh, but also what I've called community infrastructure and making sure that as we have projects and, and different opportunities uh, economic opportunities coming into the house district that we are helping communities one be aware that they exist um, but two uh, make sure that they are trained in order to ascend into these roles that could change their their socioeconomic status and you know ultimately their life and their ability to take care of their families and then three our public education and and continuing to make sure that we support our schools and, and making sure that our teachers but also our students are 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 in environments where they, uh, whether we talk about our teachers able to do their best work or we talk about for our students, they, they're able to, to learn in the best way possible um, because we know that, you know, in the presence of added stressors, the ability for students to, to think critically and think out of the box um, is limited. And so there's, there's still much work that needs to be done. And we have seen um, when we invest in our public uh, schools, like, you know, the work that has gone to, to revitalize South Oak Cliff High School school or um, that we the work that we saw that you know um, that re revitalized the skyline high school mm -hmm. how academic and even um, extracurricular activities changed overnight um, and so that's going to be you know super important and then the last thing is is voting rights and civil rights and continuing to, to fight for our, our our ability to have our voices heard at the ballot um, that and also we fight for um, the rights that we that we thought were you know here, but you know that we see we still continue to need uh, to fight for that. Whether we talk about you know for the LGBTQ community or, or communities of color or those who live at the intersection of both and who are dealing with uh, the intersection of those you know of those issues. Yeah, you know you talk about voting rights. Um, just any rights you think once you would think once we, we we've uh, those rights have been established, we're safe. That's not true, and we got a great example of that mm -hmm. a week or two ago. Um, of course, voting rights have been under under attack. Um, seems like endlessly. So we have to keep vo we have to keep fighting just for the right to vote. And you know, now Roe v. Wade has been reversed. Um, this Friday, 
um, President Joe Biden signed an executive order aimed at protecting access and uh, access to re reproductive health services. Um, and some of those things, you know, of course, everybody was like, oh, what is that going to do? How, how much power is that going to have? You know, the specifics are access to abortion, including medica medication, um, access to contraception, because that's under attack again, um, the right to emergency medical care under the law, providers and clinics uh, that you rely on, and privacy and sensitive health information. Um, that's more probably a HIPAA thing. Um, but some... Democrats are saying they don't think that's enough. What do you all think? Is that, is, is that a fair, it's, uh, it's is that a fair criticism? It's, it is not enough. No. Until it is law of the land um, where every woman in this country has a right um, to access those services uh, based on a decision they make, mm -hmm. that those women make, not what the state makes right. uh, for them, um, then it's not enough. It's, it's really not enough. But we've seen the Supreme Court... Um, you know, take those things that you were just talking about, Venton, and just gut them. I mean, they did it with in Shelby with mm -hmm. voting, the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. They just gutted the whole preclearance and um, and you know, watching states as they change their voting laws. Are they doing it in a way that disenfranchises uh, or intimidates uh, voters? And of, and of course, when that was stripped away from the law, what started happening? Um, intimidation, intimidation. <laughs> and suppression of voters, um, and they rampantly, like, mm -hmm. uh, and across the South, which which was the biggest area of offense, right? And um, and so, you know, we're we're going to see this with uh, Roe v. Wade as well, the Dobbs decision, um, and what's what's inevitable with this too is that as as if it's not bad enough already after the last president is the sexism. Mm -hmm. the, you know, if, when, when men think that they have control over women and they understand that because the law is, says it's so, mm -hmm. that especially old white guys <laughs> yeah. making decisions for mm -hmm. every woman. That's right. I mean, it, as if it's not a daddy state already. Right. Um, it's um, the, the the sexism is just going to get stupid. And it's, and it's already happened. I mean, I've heard just, just from people in my orbit um, where men treat, feel like they have a, a pass right. yeah. to treat women like crap and say things that are obnoxious and, you know, uh, because that's, that's the, the nature, that's one of the consequences of this, of or, this ruling. Right. Um, so w what more could Joe Biden do at this point? Um, well, we, we, have to, we have to get rid of the filibuster. Right, absolutely. Um, so... You know, I, if I were him, I would pull in Mansion and Cinema, and, and <laughs> sit them down in the White House for a very long time. Yeah, um, because this is ridiculous. This is this is holding up people's very lives. Mm -hmm. Right. What is happening under Dobbs, and what will happen, and has already started to happen, is that if you have um, an, an ectopic pregnancy mm -hmm. or an incomplete miscarriage. You're going to get denied care, and those right. are lethal. Those, those are, are lethal. Death. That's right. That's there, death. there is no ectopic pregnancy that does not lead to death if right. it's untreated. That's right. There, and there is no mis. The, no. the cure for that is, term is the removal of that that fetus, and yeah. i.e., an abortion. 
Yes. That's what it and is. And when doctors say I can't because the law is so strict that I'm getting scrutiny for doing proper medical care. Or I could go to prison. Right. Or I could go to prison. Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. they're and they're not going to treat you. People, women are going to die, and they're and they're already dying. Right. I mean, if if it, this this is so, I mean, it, it's speculated, it, and they don't have any scientific proof because they don't research every single miscarriage. But a significant number, up to 50% of, of every pregnancy, of all pregnancies, um, ends in miscarriage. But you right. just don't know it because it happens so early. It happens early. That's so, correct. this is not trivial. This is women's lives, and this is, and that's not even talking about um, when rape and incest and all those other conditions. I'm just talking about two two conditions that happen. They're a reality. We can't say they don't that. D deny it and say, oh, that'll never happen. They happen. No, they happen. They happen on a regular basis. Ectopic pregnancies and incomplete miscarriages mm -hmm. happen every single day across this country. Right, right. And it involves millions of women. Yeah. And, and so women are going to die. And, and uh, the stupidity and the ignorance among the old white guys making these decisions, they don't know what an ectopic pregnancy is or what it means. And even worse, when you explain it to them, they should know already if they're so... They're so, you know, informed about everything. But, okay, even when you try to explain it to them, they still don't care. They still don't care. They still don't exactly. care. They don't care. No. Um, so Omar last week when he was here, he talked about some of the efforts that some of the different cities in Texas are doing, you know, doing the, the most they can do. They're not, the DAs are not going to prosecute. Um, it's the, you know, that's... The, the level of importance is like the very lowest, trying to prosecute somebody who assisted in some uh, a woman having an abortion or a woman just having an abortion herself. Um, is there anything else that you may know of down in the legislature that's they're trying to do to, to help the situation the best they can? Well, there, there, there are different strategies at different levels that are mm -hmm. happening, and I think for me, ultimately, what we what we have to do is kind of get rid of the band-aids and really get down to the core of what is happening mm -hmm. and and really understand and, and Patty you said this earlier about people understanding how important local politics are how important that vote is and what I hope you know as we go into November that everyone understands that and do not take advantage of what's happening because again we see every day um, the the results uh, of of not you know keeping a you know your hand on the wheel and so you know when we talk about what can happen we have to also make sure that we're having a conversation um, that's more uh, instead of short term what can happen today tomorrow next week next month that we start to understand what can we do right now absolutely what can we do in, in November what mm -hmm. do we need to be doing in these next two two years um, you know to, to to make sure that we are we are making some long-term strides um, because we know that it's not just Roe versus Wade that's going to be on the chopping block we know um, LGBTQ rights are on the chopping block we know and, and it was it was even said 
um, by Cornyn, you know, going, you know, versus, you know, Brown versus Board of Education. And, and it's, it's not necessarily something that that's moving, but it can. But but the fact that he mentioned it. Right. And, 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 ha and, and felt so. You know, so where they, you, you know where they are mentally. Right. Because there, there's, there's some, been, have been some conversations to where, you know, some people are thinking, but they wouldn't dare say it. Right. And, and so now. I'm saying it. Right. Now. Yeah, I mean, well, now the genius may let out. Right. Yeah. And, and now there are some lawmakers that are, that are so they're emboldened. To, to, to really talk about these things that, that really makes this country great. You know, being able to, to, to be a person of color, being able to be an immigrant, being able to be a, a woman, being able to be an, an LGBTQ person and have the rights of anyone else and treated with that dignity and respect. And we see how that is falling to the wayside. And what becomes so important is that it's not a country all or nothing conversation mm -hmm. what's happening in dc is not necessarily what's happening in dallas you know what, what's happening in in san francisco is not necessarily what's happening in um in a, a city in in, in florida right. and so we have to focus on those places like Texas, like Florida, like Georgia, um, and you know where the laws at that state level are, are really causing um, some some catastrophic, continuing to, to cause catastrophic, you know, damage to our community and and our and our families. So the best thing that we can do to your to your question is that we have to we have to be going on all cylinders. We have to make sure that local protections are in place. We have to make sure that we we put protections at the state level uh, for for communities just. Like like we talk about with the LGBTQ community, there are no statewide LGBTQ anti-discrimination ordinances, you know, in place, especially that's important for a place like Texas when we came out of 2020 mm -hmm. with the most amount of, of trans violence, you know, in this country Yeah, and that came out of Dallas, Texas. Right. And so... You know, we talked about the state, but then on that federal level, the laws that need to be passed, you know, to protect our community that many advocates have been talking about for, for decades. You know, Roe versus Wade in particular has been in place for, for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And there have been advocates that entire time that have been asking for legislation uh, to, to make sure that, that we codify those protections. Um, and, and we have to do that now, especially that we are, we're, we're working in this window now of a lot of these trigger laws that we're not going to be able to turn around right now uh, unless there's an emergency session called. Um, so. and, and two, I mean, these these, um, I like to call them dum-dums, but I have other words for them. In Austin, uh, the, old, the old white guys that want to control women, um, they, want, they want to pass laws that would track women who leave the state to see if they were pregnant when they left the state and whether they're not pregnant when they come back. And I'm like, no, 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 you know what, you're, this is, I mean, it's not enough that you say, we don't do this here. Right. But to come after you when you freely travel as an American to another place, right, right. I, it, it has gotten out of hand. It's gotten out of hand, and you you would think, oh God, that would never happen. Oh, that, that could never survive the American justice system. Justice system if it went to court, that would never happen. That that would that wouldn't that, that wouldn't uh, last. You say, well, like, well, you know what? We said the same thing about Roe, and here we are. You just exactly. never know what they're going to do. Interstate commerce clause, exactly, all those things. Exactly. No, this court didn't care about yeah, no, the, nope. 
the nope. Constitution when they did make these rulings. Yep. So yeah. So being in Austin and being able to stop that kind of crazy. I mean, because come on, let's say it. That's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Men would never tolerate that. No. Let no. me let me check you out before you leave the state. Come on. <laughs> well, we need to take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk about the possibly history that Benton is about to make. We'll be more right back with more with Lambda Weekly. Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. Listen. And that was our dear friend Candy Markham. She'll probably be back in August. Very soon. Yeah, very soon. Uh, that's just in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, so. It'll be time for another pledge drive, and of course it means <laughs> Of course, Markham. Candy will be here. Love us some candy. Uh, welcome back to Lambda Weekly. Uh, here, I'm Laurent Landis here with Patty Fink, and our guest today is Texas House um, Representative Democratic nominee um, Benton Jones for District 100. If you win, you and another gentleman down in Beaumont will become the first um, LGBT black men to hold office in the legislature. Let's that say is openly. Wonder, openly, openly. That would be wonderful. What do you think about that? Or have you thought about it much? I, I think that's awesome. It, and it, it definitely wasn't the reason that I that I ran. Mm -hmm. But when I started to do research, you know, after being a candidate about just just wanting to know myself, like how many LGBTQ people were, you know, in, in the state house or how many people were, you know, how many out, you know, LGBTQ people are there or how many people even living with HIV have been in state legislative, you know, positions. And yes, it, it we, we definitely with the election of um, State Rep. Jolanda Jones in Houston, uh, have our first um, black LGBTQ woman mm -hmm. that is in the state house. And we, we also have two other elections, uh, this one for House District 100, uh, but also Christian Manuel in House District uh, 22, 22. Uh, which we are both um, black gay men, openly out um, black gay men, you know, who are working uh, not only, again, as LGBTQ people, but also having the opportunity of being who we are serving a house district, the house district that we were raised in. So Christian is also in, oh, in 22. Great. That was the house district that, you know, he was born and raised in. That's wonderful. And has served the last, you know, 17 years under Joe Desitel. Um, and, and, you know, me being in, in house district 100, again, this story being, you know, really about being able to be who you are and and continue to being able to to serve and that is that is huge and um i i i do not take that lightly because there have been so many people who have not had the opportunities for a multitude of reasons uh to be able to serve in their authentic capacity right, right. have you had the chance to meet and speak with christian Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Christian, okay. Jolanda, uh, we, we talk regularly. Okay. And, you know, since we found out, you know, from a Dallas Morning News article that it was three, you know, openly LGBTQ people running, you know, we, we got into communication with each other. And from an early point in our races, just wanted to make sure that we were there to support each other because so often when you talk about communities of color or you talk about LGBTQ communities, you know, there's so many systems that, that really work to, to kind of separate you, kind of make it like, oh, you know, us against them kind of thing. And we didn't want that. And so we knew that how hard our races were going to be already. And we wanted to make sure that we were, you know, 
supportive of each other. So we, we talk to each other regularly. That's awesome. Now, from my understanding, uh, Christian's race is a little tighter than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the Democratic nominee, but it's, it might be a little more of an uphill battle for him to actually pull it out in November. Good luck to him. Good luck to you he both. Got he got it. <laughs> but, you know, what I like about that, aside from just the history making and that you guys need to be there um, for representative purposes, I like the fact that you are representing um, minority majority communities. And that kind of bucks a stereotype. That's right. And that is that blacks are uber or super homophobic more than the general uh, population. But here they are. They are supporting an openly gay black um candidate what do you think about it? I, I i think that's great so this is my you know i my my response to that is the black community is no more homophobic than the lgbtq community is racist <laughs> right no so, argument there <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. so i've had to deal with issues on both sides for my entire yeah. life and career with feeling sometimes out of place in the LGBT community as a black man mm-hmm. and sometimes feeling out of place in the, in the black community as um, a, a gay man. But I, but I think that what, and, and I think what I have learned in, in my own life is that somebody's going to not like you for some reason. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything about that. And it doesn't change the, the amount of work and passion that I put into my black identity just as well as my LGBTQ identity. I can't, I can't rip them away from, from who I am. And so I don't think that one is, is worse than the other. Um, I think that, especially when we talk about, you know, in, on my race, you know, I had so much love and so much support from black leaders in this community. And so many people told me, you know, I don't, I don't care who you sleep with, I want you to do good work. Right. And for that, that's all I want. I don't, I don't want any special treatment. I just want to, for you to see my capacity and my ability to do good work and support that. And so as it relates to this race, you know, I would not be here without the support of the black community. But I also would not be here without the support of the LGBTQ community or the Latino community or all the communities that really make up this this village that, yeah. that's called House District 100. And so um, I'm grateful for all the support that I've been able to, to get and the ability to just be me yeah. and that be OK. Yeah. And that's going to be an amazingly powerful tool to just be who you are right. when you're in the legislature. Right. And I, I know our list, most of our listeners know that there is an, as an official Texas House LGBTQ caucus that has formed. Um, and uh, a really brief history, the, the first out openly gay person to serve in the legislature was Glenn Maxey. Mm-hmm. Um, Love who, Glenn. Who served from the, the 90s into 2000s when they redistricted him, redistricted him out of mm-hmm. his, uh, his district. Uh, and the same with Harriet Earhart at the time. And, um, and then after that, we, we got Celia Israel, who um, is, is there today. She's still a house rep, but there's somebody running in her for her seat. Um, but she's running, she's going to try to run for mayor of Austin, which is on the no- November ballot. But right now we have 
uh, oh. Mary Gonzalez from El Paso. We have Johnson. Aaron Weiner from uh, Kyle, who is bisexual. Mm -hmm. um, we have um, Jolanda Jones, who yes, is in and, and sworn in. Mm -hmm. Um, we have, of course, Julie Johnson mm -hmm. here in, in Dallas County. We have Jessica Gonzalez from Dallas County. And who am I missing? That's all I can remember. Um, can't, I can't think. Um, but, but that's but, how the caucus formed. Right. Right. And so um, with, with that caucus of now six people, possibly seven, with Celia's exit and Yolanda's entry, I don't know how that falls. But ultimately, if everybody wins, it'll be nine. Yeah. And there are straight people who are allies who are part of the caucus, who are members of the caucus. But just having nine people. In Texas. In Texas, <laughs> in the House. And the House is 150 members. Right. Um, and it stays at 150. Mm -hmm. um, but nine, that's an influence. I remember when we had two people, or one person actually, um, on the on, or two at the time, Dallas City Council, who were openly gay, Ed Oakley and, and the, the late John Loza, mm -hmm. um, and the influence that they had when we were getting the ordinance passed in 2002, among other members who had of several who had said, "I'm going to vote against it," but the, when the day came, said, "I know you and I know you personally, I can't vote against you," and that's the kind of power. Having nine people right. becoming known by to their peers—that's the power of being out, open, and all, your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. and the more you are your authentic self, they're they're going to see Venton's just. Venton's my friend. Right. I can't, right. you know, if, if he's representing LGBTQ people around the state, how would I vote against something? All that right. would hurt them. How right. would I vote for something that would hurt them? So that's power. That is <laughs> that just by itself right, right. is some great power, and I'm I'm thrilled I'm, as, yeah, as, a, I'm, as an LGBT, LGBTQ Texan. I'm excited that we're going to have one of the. We were just talking during the break. You're saying it's one of the largest in the country. If it won't, if it's not the largest, I think it's like either second or third to. The largest caucus, LGBTQ caucus, in any state legislature. In any state legislature. So I'm assuming the first would be California. Probably. Yeah. That would be my guess. It's just a numbers game. It would make sense. Yeah. But I remember I've heard Glenn tell the story, and I've heard Tammy Baldwin tell the story about um, about their the first time they met at a at a national conference of state legislators. And they decided to have an LGBT caucus. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was just the gay caucus. And they were the only two people there. <laughs> From the whole country. Oh, my God. Oh, it wow. was Maxie and Baldwin. Wow. And, um, and wow, have things changed. Yeah. <laughs> Tremendously. But you, you bring up something that's, that's very important about Dallas and, and the state of Texas. I think that... As someone who you know has traveled the country and heard you know all the stories about what people assume Texans are, they, like, people think I still have a horse and all this other crazy stuff. And a, and a gun. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. And, and we all have cattle. Right. right. And so, <laughs> the, the 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 funniest thing is that, we, and we and we also talk about so so much of the crazy legislation and you know right wing activity that's happened. But I, I think that in places like Texas, you've kind of literally you you you've, you've raised some of the most like dynamic activists and you know and advocates you know for our community because they they know what it feels like to to, to fight and have been a part of that fight so 
it's great to be able to to kind of lean on that piece when there's so much negative that people even wonder like why are you even here as an LGBTQ person but I, I, I love Dallas and I and I love this state and I know that there are so many in our community that also loves you know our, our city and our, and our state and our you know have fought and will continue to fight for that and and I'm just following that legacy well, and you're you're joining. There's only what ten, ten reps, twelve reps um, for this for Dallas County. I mm -hmm. think it's ten and two senators, mm -hmm. um, and three of them. It's be three of you who are LGBTQ. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah, that's um, it's like sort of like two western corners of the county, mm -hmm. and then you're kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, show, it shows the diversity of our, our, our community and the support because even in Dallas, we all we, we just made LGBTQ Oak Lawn, but we didn't make it about Oak Cliff. We had to make it. We also had to make it about North, North Dallas. Like we exist right. all over the metro. We're everywhere. We're and everywhere. Representation everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> we really are. That's that's pretty slick. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. A, and I, I can't wait until inauguration day in January when you all stand up there and take your oath. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a and day. It's gonna be that's going to be a day. That's going to be some great photos, too, of some history making. Yeah. That's going to be some history right there. And the um, representative uh, in the legislatures, those seats last for two years? They do. So you have to run again. Okay. All right. Well, you know, and they're paid all of like seven hundred dollars a session. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in it for the money, I know. Then. Oh, get rich. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is your get rich scheme. Right. <laughs> no, no. No. So we're coming up on the end of the hour, and I just wanted to talk about some news, some national news, and that is um, there's some new updates with um, Brittany Griner. Also part of our community, yep. and she pled. Fellow Baylor Bear. Yep, yep. Um, she pled guilty to the drug charges um, while well, she's been locked in up in Russia for was it four months now? Yes, it's February. Um, and it's still no guarantee that that's going to get her out any sooner. Um, and just what did y'all think about that? And and, and what else I, I learned this week is that she her what they found was 0.7 grams of CBD oil, and that's you know I'm really not that good at math, but I found out that's less than a teaspoon. That's and nothing. She, she she they tested her. And they tested she her. She, te she tested negative. They tested her the day they caught her in the airport, yep. or they stopped yep. her in the airport, yep. and. She was clean of any kind of drugs, and and there was a I think I think it may have been her coach um, who said that if this were LeBron James, she would have been home already. I don't know if I agree with that. What do you all think? I'm. <laughs> I think I'm, that she is a a black woman, and there's some truth to that. And I think that we have to acknowledge. Do you think? Do you think her sexual orientation is also playing a part of it? I think because in can't, Russia, you can't. It's not you gay can't part, You can't. Again, you can't take away the different parts of her. You she can't. is an LGBTQ person. Mm -hmm. She is a woman. Mm -hmm. She She's is. A black you know, woman. she is a black, black woman. woman. Yeah. And so the thing is, this, 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 this intersection uh, of things. You know, I, I think that because the thing is, so let's let's take LeBron James out of it. What if this was a white man or the white man that we just got out of Russia several weeks before? Mm -hmm. So point. there is already a contrast that we don't even have to bring LeBron James into this. There, there, we, we have to make sure that we acknowledge the implicit bias that 
is in this situation because we are advocating for not only a black woman but a black lesbian woman right yep. and and how that conversation around that advocacy around those people at the intersection and how their independent identities kind of converge into things that can really be harmful and so whether we acknowledge it or not that is a, a perfect storm that has been created, whether people agree or not agree. There is a, a level of urgency that would have been put forth and that has been put forth that we've seen. We've, we've seen it all in our living room, that there was a white man in Russia that, that, that was able to get out of Russia in, in, you know, after this, this war you know, ha, you know, broke out. Right. And so I think... I, I know that we have to make sure that we have that same level of urgency, and I think that that's what pisses people off, is that they don't see that urgency for a woman. You know, and, and not only the women that we have to fight for in this country right now, but also women overseas and the issues that still continue to, to cause challenge when we say that America is fully realized in this place around racial justice. It's not. Right. And the, the combination of not only the racial dynamic, but also being a person who is LGBTQ, um, that plays a role, too, whether we acknowledge it or not. And Ultimately, we just need to get her out of there. We do. We do. She's she's pled guilty. We'll see if that gets her a lighter sentence. We'll see. Um, but the whole reason she was over there is because women are paid less. Right. Right. That's NBA how, players right. have to go elsewhere to to earn a, a living. Yeah. I mean, some of these players are right, are playing a full season on thirty thousand dollars salary. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's insane. So. Um, you know, I we're we're praying for you, Brittany. We're, we're praying for you, Brittany, and her uh, the trial begins this coming week on the fourteenth. Uh, that's, that's just in a few we'll days. We'll see what it, so, how it impacts her yeah, person. Yeah, that's right. Well, Benton, yeah. we're out of time. Thank oh. you so much again. I've been excited and want you to come on for a very long time and finally made it happen. And good luck. Well, yeah, thank come, you so much. This is hopefully one of of many visits. So yes, I absolutely. Yeah, come back, come back. And, uh, after the election and after you're sworn in and. And, and, and kicking butt in Austin. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And here goes. <laughs> okay. All right. Good deal. Thanks so much. Thank you.